This is the one with the three doctor. Constructions that make no sense. The most stable person she knows. A Paul Hollywood handshake. Normal service resumed. Time waits for no man. And a psychic load. It's called The Vanquishers. Here we go! We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels are. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Echoes and Tewitika. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Shazblamatron, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, welcome to yet another fluxtastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or a docpast, don't you know? That's right. Tonight we are reviewing episode six and final of Flux. And I am but one of we, I am Drew Back When, and the other I of we <laughs> is you over there. It's Leon. Oh, he's pointing at me, Podcast Land. Yes, it is. It is I, Leon. Hello, Drew. Hello, Podcast Land. Hello, Podcast Land. Leon. Hit me. We are so close to the end of Flux. (laughs) (laughs) My tone may have changed, but what did you high-level think of this? It's really difficult. What was really difficult? It's really difficult to give you a high-level opinion of this, because this very Mm. entertaining episode is a failure. That's an excellent summary. (laughs) My high level is, you know, I love to watch these things twice to try and prevent glitches and mistakes. Yeah. Did you? I got 40 seconds in. And then I was like, nah, no. Into your second viewing. Yeah, and I just yeah, couldn't. Yeah, no, fair I enough. just couldn't. Because no, life's too short. It starts at a sprint, and then it just beats you around the head for an hour. And yeah. I didn't want that again. I was already an hour older. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you tried to watch this twice back to back? No, no, no. Thank goodness. Okay. (laughs) No one deserves that. (laughs) So (laughs) look forward to the next hour and a half podcast land. Hope you're keeping up with your rewatch. Well, this is going to be good. Right. Let's get to it then. Let's. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Doc ducks where Tectaean stuck and tries her luck in triplicate. Torn between being tormented by Smarm and Assured, reuniting with the TARDIS under Kate Stewart's protection in Williamson's tunnels, and with no possible justification, also part materialising on Carvanista's ship, which she promptly rams into the Sontaran force field to infiltrate their new headquarters. Yep, this final flux event has to wrap up in an hour, so expect ever-increasing levels of tension, excitement, inattentive guards, accessible shortcuts, cosmic coinkadings, hasty exits, cursory comeuppances, speed dates with destiny, heartstring stunts, bullet point scripting, keyword banter, physical impossibilities, general fobbing off of watches, and genocides. Be scout over, you are welcome. Are you? <laughs> we are both questioning that. <laughs> Spontaneously. Aren't you just? Yeah, well, there you go, podcast land. You know what? It's really rude to receive a gift and then complain about it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be polite tonight, are we? Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Where are we starting with this? Well, I don't know how we go about it because there's so much and there's so much wrong with it. We could pull it apart for days. We really could. Okay, well, can we start at the very beginning? That seems logical, at the very least. Let's hold on to logic as long as we can. I'm not 100% certain, but I think we were three minutes and something into this episode. Let's say three minutes and 20 seconds. Right-o. Previously on Included... 
Yes, bleeding into now. And everyone's been reunited. Doc's been split up, so she hasn't been reunited. She has been... <laughs> Disunited. Torn asunder, but she's been reunited with her fam. Vinder and Spell, is that her name? Have been reunited. Everyone... That doesn't happen that early. Vinder's got to escape the passenger for Oh, yeah, that's die. true. That's true. Okay, that is true. Kate Stewart is now with them. She went dark, <laughs> but which took her to the fam. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has been assembled. Fine, yes, Vindra and Belle haven't been reunited yet. But everything has essentially been resolved. All character-level issues have been resolved. Yes. Oh, I see where you're going. This is insightful. I felt like those three minutes covered ground that we should have devoted the entire first act of this episode to. Like, that is 20 minutes worth of television fast-forwarded through. Well, fast-forwarding is a theme of this entire episode, definitely. My question was going to be, if you were tasked, as Chris Chibnall was, with producing another batch of eight episodes by the BBC, and you had this much material crammed into part six of your era-defining script... And you also had Legend of the Sea Devils waiting in the wings. Oh, I know where you're going. Gently smouldering in the dumpster. (laughs) Why on earth wouldn't you make Flux 7 episodes and just set that thing ablaze? So when did Flux air? Or rather, when was it produced? This is a COVID production, isn't it? It's affected by COVID. Possibly. This episode aired on 5th of December 2021. Then Eva the Daleks followed pretty swiftly, and I believe that Legend of the Sea Devils was also in the same production block. Yeah. So could it be that actually they were hampered by circumstance, by global circumstance? Well, they were, but what I'm saying is if you just lingered for reaction shots at the end of scenes in this episode, as every other episode of television and film outside Transformers has done to date then you could very easily just have two hours of not even padded, but just much more invitingly, accommodatingly paced television. Yeah. And it would still be exciting and brisk, even with that extra breathing time. Yeah, most definitely. There's so much going on here that you could hack and slash half of it out of there and it still would be a massively packed script. Yeah. And as you say, if we don't resolve all the character level issues within the first three minutes, then you could probably engineer a cliffhanger out of some of them halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Well, yes, certainly. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, while they did an amazing job, they did an amazing job in general, COVID aside, but even under those circumstances, they did amazing things. They took Doctor Who to amazing new places. But yeah, I remember enjoying this episode way more than I did. This was a real misremembering for me. Really? I do not remember enjoying this episode, Ah. I think. But I think also that I was way too preoccupied with the whole time being a character at the end who just shows up and essentially deus ex machina the whole thing without letting us know who time is. What, what, who is time? Well, how about that? Can okay. you tell me who is time? It's time to address the elephant in the room. It's elephants to address <laughs> the time in the room. Who, who is time? Explain. Time is a lazy-ass shortcut. That's all I can give you. One of my questions is, how does time have the ability to send the Doctor back across space? Because time is stuck on Atropos. Time doesn't have control over its own spatial coordinates. It's trapped there. So how can it send the Doctor out? Where are they when they meet time? Are they back on Atropos? Yes. Right. That's where time is, so say, imprisoned. Right, right. Because the flux event hasn't caused enough chaos for it to be able to break free. Okay, well, it's a very good question, one that I cannot answer. (laughs) No. 
like I couldn't answer yours, so I answered it with a question. So is time still imprisoned there? Is time generally a prisoner? Yes. Well, that seems horrible. What has time ever done to deserve being imprisoned? You can't imprison time forever. You can imprison time everywhere. (laughs) What has time done to deserve this? Well, time was running wild and the universe was chaos and the more he needed to trammel time appropriately and so that things could proceed in linear cause and effect kind of reactions. That's as much as this script, serial, and I can give you put together. I think that is one failed narrative strand across all of flux the whole thing of oh there's time and space and there are odds with each other and something needs to be done and we can harness one to battle the other fuck all of you that makes no (laughs) sense yes and some people hate space and they like time question for you yeah. Time is a prisoner on Atropos. Sure. I've only just found out about this, but yeah. Well, that's where they were. That's where time <laughs> was at the end. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. Yeah. But where was time at the beginning when everyone else was on Atropos? Where was time the first time around? I can't stop using that word now because guess what? It's not a person. It's a concept. When Old Swarm had all the passenger forms and they were knocking them off one by one and yeah, the Doctor yeah. and Carvanista were part of Division. Where was time then? Where was Swarm. Yeah, where was time when they did it all over again? When it's yours going, <laughs> all of that Actually, business. Technically, technically, young swarm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Unregenerated swarm. Yeah. I don't know, but mm. at that point, there still were. Oh, no, you're right, because they had taken them down all the Mori. Or enough of them, anyway. Okay, what is the time vortex? What's that? Is that where time. What the. <laughs> It's Time's version of Anatomy Park. They're having a whale of a time in there. (laughs) I've done it again. Yeah. Okay, let's just agree that the whole time thing doesn't work. It's time to put it to bed. Yes. (laughs) I don't even want to go so far as, you know, it's great initiative, but you failed on the execution. No, it's a terrible initiative. Better luck next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, let's set that aside. Yeah. Screw time. (sighs) And the way it mimics people, I get that they were still probably in a lockdown bubble in 2021, but it was so underwhelming that it first took Swarm's form, then it took the Doctor's. It was supposed to denote mysteriousness while entirely lacking in imagination. I, I hate think that, it. Yeah. You know what? I just think that's a case of, well, whatever appearance we give time is going to be met with criticism. If nope. we nope. cast someone to be time, that's not going to work. What if Brian Blessed was time? Jolly old ghost of Christmas present, Brian Blessed. Chaotic time friggin' giant. Because he's huge! He's been on Doctor Who before. Has he? Yes. He was a bird man of some description. Yeah, something like that. He was in a bird episode. He was really awesome. He was fantastic, as I recall. Get Maggie Smith to do a five-minute cameo. She's as old as time. That even makes sense. Yeah, but then either way, I think if you choose someone, you might as well go with Morgan Freeman. Effectively, <laughs> yeah. you what you do is you risk doing a Bruce Almighty. If you have oh? anyone, any venerable actor, any member of either BBC or Hollywood royalty, yeah, yeah, yeah. portray something like time, then it is tantamount to having Morgan Freeman play God. You know What's what I mean? wrong with that? I struggle to see. It's just kitsch. You know, is, and is, Doctor Who isn't? Well, is time just... No, no. Okay, I think, even though I do quite like the idea of having Brian Blessed, that's great. <laughs> or Maggie Smith, fine, absolutely. I think a lot of the audience would just not be okay with that and just say, right, well, is this now Doctor Who's equivalent of God? Is that what this is? Because you've personified right. it. You've now... This is what I mean by 
like oh, okay. you're, you're Bruce I Almighty. S- like yeah. you just have someone who portrays a wise, Brian Blessed for crying out loud, a large bearded wise old man <laughs> who might as well appear on a cloud. Like, he is effectively a Monty Python god avatar, right? So if he shows up and he <laughs> yes. is... If he shows up in his time, then I would not be on board for that. I would think that that's something that belongs in a Christmas special. Well, I chose Brian Blessed because he's got a certain chaotic energy and he can also be quite, not menacing in a way, but unpredictable. And ang- yeah. He can be angry. This time, not only didn't really have a face or a being, it didn't have a personality. It's not a personality, so I guess that's fine. But it, what it did, none of it made any sense. But, but and I'm not part... saying that Brian Blessed would have made that make sense. I'm just finding further things to critique. But that's another thing that I disapprove of in this episode, and that is that time does have a personality here. Time is... It's just that any one of those alien movies where they go, well, we've adopted your form, because if you were to see us the way that we actually appear, you would your mind would implode on itself, or your eyes would explode in your cranium, whatever it might be. Okay, which know. itself comes from imagining encounters with the Almighty. Yeah, well, there you go then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what am I trying to say? What that implies is that this is an individual. It's not a concept. It is an individual with opinions, with a means of reasoning, with motivation. Someone who probably either does not want to be incarcerated on Atropos, or has just been incarcerated so long that he's or they are going to Brooks it, whatever his name was in Shawshank. If time ever escaped from Atropos, time would hang itself. (laughs) Spoilers for Shawshank. It's weird to me that time is an individual. I disapprove of that. Yes, definitely. It has to do something, though, and arguing against it being a coherent individual is none of what it does makes any sense. It's just a stand-in for structural exigencies of the episode. What I mean is, Swarm and Azure need to die, for some reason, or they need to be stopped in their tracks. Why not death? Because in this episode, trillions die. So what's another two? Yeah. (laughs) And time just bumps them off. But then with the Doctor, it's something completely different. And that's nothing to do with who the Doctor is. That's just what the TV show is. It completely fails at being like a diegetic part of this universe. Well, it never has been, so... No... So why try? It's such a bad attempt. Yeah, okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say about time. I don't think that even at this stage in Flux, time needed to be a person. No. No! When they introduced the Mori, and the Mori were there to harness or somehow funnel whatever they were doing on that little platform... That's fine. Call time some form of energy. Call it whatever it might be. Oh, the Moria there because they naturally inhale tachyons and farts. Artrons. Artrons. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that's all you need to say. Time is just an energy, and the second you remove the Mori, now that energy, that radiation or whatever it might be, is flowing out of the vortex and into the universe, and that is filling it with exotic quarkicles. That is. Great techno babble. So that's all you need. You don't need a person. And then at the end, maybe Swarm and Azor have just overestimated their technological abilities, or Doc has done a clever. And as they uh, traverse the border or barrier between one universe and the other, Doc just picks up a bolt or a, a nut and just right. goes, You made a huge mistake over the intercom, over space intercom. You made a huge mistake, Swarm. It's like, what was that? It's like, well, you didn't take my sonic screwdriver. And then we get a little flashback, and she's sonicking Aha! a bolt off a spaceship, and they just die because now they can't traverse the barrier between universes. Done. Mm. We're done. Fuck them. They could die out of stupidity, not because of divine intervention, which is what this is tantamount to. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Also, it brings to light 
a kind of paradox. Yeah. Which is that it's not okay for the Doc to kill Swarmer Azure in that way when mm-hmm. they're individuals and we have got to know them. But it's okay for her to kill all the Sontarans. Yeah. Absolutely en masse, untold numbers. Yeah. She's also meeting time. Could she technically ask Time, hey, would you mind rewinding yourself and saving the entire universe? Yeah. I'm assuming Time is capable of doing that, right? Ah, but Time hates space. Do you think I want even more space around? No, I'm cranky. Right, dude. Hang on, hang on. 20 minutes on Time. We need to move on. One more minute. Okay. It's for the being that's the personification of Time, it is really very impatient. Because Swarm and Azure... (laughs) are perfectly capable once the final flux event which is only the final flux event because we've heard it so many times and because the characters have said it so many times yeah once that fails they are perfectly capable of regrouping heading back to division charging up another blast that this time will take down the universe but time's like nah now nah, i'm bored you failed this time so click and then they just get atomized hmm. yeah doesn't make any sense. No, not really. This is on their deaths. All right. They have killed trillions. Yes. As you're in Swarm. And I don't need everyone in this episode to suffer a fate that's exactly commensurate with the mayhem they've perpetrated. But they are overjoyed to be so-called ascending. This is a happy ending for them. Is that because they believe that they are ascending to some higher existence or because they are embracing death? Could it be that they just don't know what's befalling them? Very possibly, they don't know. But it just struck me as kind of weird that these are the worst of the bad guys, the many serried ranks of bad guys. Even the Sontarans they put to shame. Yeah. In terms of their scale. The bloody snake face, he gets to starve to death on an asteroid that weirdly has oxygen. Yep, yep. Blink and you miss it. Yeah, he isn't killed, but these guys... No, but he will die, clearly. That's yeah. a much worse penalty. Mm. Yes, yes, you're right. Whereas Azure, yeah, she's smiling as she goes. They learn nothing. They had a lot of fun. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <sighs> no, I have nothing to say about that. No, Chris Chibnall, <laughs> you're right. what was your thinking there? We would be interested to know yeah. if there was any. Send us a mini. 250 words, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> 250 words or bust. <laughs> Don't go dumping your exposition in the first paragraph, because that's all we read. That's just another episode, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's get away from time. Yes, please. It's about time. What would you like to talk about? Oh, you're the one driving the tangent. Come on. All right, fine. Can we talk about everyone who got passengered? Ooh, yes. At some point in that passenger, there were tens of thousands, hundreds, billions of people. Possibly bajillions. No one knows. But certainly a crap ton of people thought that they were being saved. Azor popped them in in the passenger form. Oh, yeah. Everyone from that planet where Belle was and left her message. Yeah. Diane says that there were others. Now there's just me. Yes. Why, for starters? Because to them, she's insignificant. That's the reason the episode gives. But what does that mean? Does that mean that at some point they take people back out of the passenger and sacrifice them or something? Use them to convert them into space energy? Yeah, the psychic temporal link. They were used to build that, I But they deliberately left Diane behind because she's insignificant. Or maybe potential collateral. Someone they could use to barter Dan Stevens with. Well, maybe because she was significant enough 
enough for them to drop in to a Liverpool yeah. haunted house at the end of episode one and specifically abduct her. So I think that she's the one adding the I'm insignificant thing. She's reading that into the situation. Oh, as in she served her purpose. She was just taken to piss off Dan. Well, no, because if that were the case, if they don't intend to use her as some sort of leverage, then they would have turned her into space energy as well, or whatever it was. Yeah, absolutely. She right? seems to have a functioning mind. Yeah, she's just like anyone. They would just atomize her and turn her into yeah. energy to power is their Is she not made is. of matter? She's saying she doesn't matter, but she is matter. So they have deliberately left her behind, and everyone else has gone. Like, literally everyone else. It's not even, well, we've taken everyone we need, so we left the ones behind that we didn't need. That's Diane and maybe another four or five million people in there, and that's it. Because we don't need them. We already have everyone we need. Yeah. No, they so needed exactly that number and not one more. Exactly. Yeah, they couldn't squeeze her in around one of those glowing cones. No room, no room. No room. Sorry, Diane. There's <laughs> absolutely no room. That seems incredibly lazy to me because she just needs yeah. to survive. We can't just have her killed, which Swar- is ridiculous. They should have killed her. Yeah, and Swarm and Azure's whole thing throughout this episode is about how they're going to torture the Doctor for eternity. Have her being left behind in the passenger be another form of torturous punishment. She is going to die of loneliness and isolation, they think, but she's stronger than that. And then there's something going for Di. Yeah, either that or if at the end she is going to leave Dan Stevens anyway because they've contracted to do more episodes with him in the TARDIS and if he once again leaves her behind, then he is truly a dick. So she has to break (laughs) up with him at the end. If they're not going to be together anyway, bump her off. Give him a little bit of agency at the end. Maybe he feels a need to effectively Graham him. Graham had just lost his wife. And certainly at one point he felt when he met the Tooth Fairy. Oh, yes. That was his driving force in that entire episode. He was after revenge. Mm. Yeah, you could kind of Graham Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens loses the would have been the love of his life, Diane. Now he's traveling around space and time with Doc, and at some point he sees a sea devil threatening someone's wife or someone's girlfriend or whatever, and he relates to that. Hey, I couldn't save Diane, so maybe I can save this person, or whatever it might be. He snaps and has a psychotic break and becomes a mass murderer. Yeah, that's super interesting. Turn him into (laughs) a bad guy because she died. And Doc is like, welcome to the club. Wait, hang on. I've got two things I want to discuss about Diane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one is, how long has she been in the passenger form and how come she's now somehow MacGyvered a solution to get out of there? And if she's MacGyvered a solution to get out of there, why hasn't she gotten out of there? Why is she conveniently waiting for Vinda? Number two, Mm. at the end, how did you feel about her going, I have been your MacGuffin this entire time, Dan Stevens, but actually I don't give a shit about you and they didn't want to pay me for the next two or three stories, so sorry, bye-bye. Okay, number one. Yes. She doesn't have a gun. She's happy when Vinda turns up with a gun. How does she know that you need a gun in that case? To shoot the bioform stuff? The biotech that's buried in the ground? Why why would... Yeah, she can't know that that is the exact tool for the job. Yeah. She can't. Wait, so... Speaking of tools for the job, I just want to say, in no way am I mocking her disability here. I just want to point out how cruel and stupid it is to make the woman with one hand have to dig her way into the earth 
to the Bioform Tech System. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, what? Anyway. But it seems really, really quite odd to me that... Okay, so she's in this alien world. At some point, she... <laughs> Sorry, you got me thinking of the Barbie movie. She runs in... Oh, yeah. She runs into a wall, is somehow transported to a different world. This time, it's a forest world. In that forest world... Well, it's world, one of any number of infinite ones, but yeah, eventually yeah. she gets there. This time... Well, they just run into one wall. It's the neighbouring world. Okay. Because she meets Vinda at the staircase... And goes, hey, run run in that direction. Run into the water. He runs. There's a barrier. He gets transported to the forest. Oh, and, and that's there. where she shows him the jobby. Exactly. Right. And yeah. then when they get to the forest world, all of a sudden, inside the forest, there are lots of passenger form guards. Right. Yeah. Automated lasers, defenses. Whom she lasers. Yep. So how does she know that this is how it works? Oh, yes. And she hasn't had one of them before. on the ground, there are bits of something, whatever that was. I can't remember what it was. Glowy blood. Glowy, glowy tech blood. Glowy tech blood. Yeah, it's like bioengineering of some sort. Yeah. Which she has unearthed, literally. <laughs> yep. None of this makes sense. No. Absolutely none of this makes sense. No, not at all. Because... For her to have detected that stuff under the ground, there must have been a sign above the ground. That seems like pretty shoddy design on the part of the Dr. Noonien Sung of the passenger world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just thought of a potential way to connect one and two. As in, number one, how long has she been in there? How long has she been Jumanji'd? <laughs> how long ah, has she yeah. been in there? Jumanji'd herself. How about this? Time moves differently inside a passenger form to start with. That would make sense because, well, I suppose they could have done anything. But she doesn't seem to have aged very much. She, No, that's true. She doesn't seem to have aged at all. No. She isn't even like, oh, God, I haven't eaten in four hours. I'm really hungry. There's none of that. Yeah, what sustenance is there in a passenger? Let's not bother. Carry on. So what if, because of the flux and because of time being wherever, blah, 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 she is quite literally the last person alive inside the passenger form? Everyone mm. else, like, mankind has thrived and fallen inside this passenger form. Yeah. She is like, what's her name? Her? She? Oh, me. yes, me. Me. Yeah, yeah. She is meing inside the passenger form, knows every shortcut to absolutely everything. And that would explain how she's dug so deep, because she's had to bury so many bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's a cross between a jumanji me and... It's not the girl who waited, the girl who lived, what's the... No! When Pond got old. Yes, when they got yeah, split the up. Yeah, the girl who was, waited. The yeah. girl who waited. Okay, yeah. All right. So she's doing that inside the passenger form. And when inside the passenger form, sorry, this is such a long tangent, but when Vinda goes, oh my goodness, they teach this module at the academy. <laughs> you should come and be a mentor or whatever it is he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She looks up at him and like, that would be great. So why is she still working at the museum <laughs> Well, maybe Why isn't maybe, she now a lecturer at the academy? That's why she turns down Dan's offer at the end. Because actually, actually, Dan, I got a better offer. Do I'm off, that! I'm off to be a teacher for the entire universe. Oh my goodness, do it. Yes, exactly that. That's the retro read. I do that. Yeah, Vinda swoops in. We get to see Belle one last time. Maybe yeah. she's had her baby. And, exactly. And Tigme, well, they could have done something with it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what, but something. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly what they should have done. They set it up. She tells him, sorry, I'm heading off to the academy with Vinda. Then Dan Stevens says something. Oh, well, look, well, I know that he's married, so I don't have to be too jealous. And then <laughs> we hear her saying off screen, off camera, it's, like, mm, it's polyamorous. <laughs> and, <then, Yeah>. and cuts. <laughs> 
That's it. Yeah, just give that some meaning. It was strange at the end, the way she just shut him down. And he's been telling her for, it seems like, three or four episodes now. Perhaps he was only talking to an Avatar representation of her in Once Upon Time. But yeah, over and over again, he said, I wasn't late. I wasn't late. It was circumstance. And yeah. She just won't listen. She's coming across as a bit defective while also being the world's greatest potential mentor. (laughs) The universe is no less. Yes, exactly. (sighs) All right, dude. Well, you mentioned the Grand Serpent being stranded on an asteroid. That is one of my low points for... Well, it's just so lazy. It's cynical in its laziness. The door shuts behind him, he turns around, he looks a bit grumpy, and it wipes to the next scene. Yeah, it's Star Wars wipes, which is something that we should talk about. There's a lot of Star Wars in this, but yeah, okay. you're right, that happens. But is there no chance that he could be rescued from there, that he could whatever? Well, he's got a lot of contacts. He's got a lot of friends as well as enemies. Yeah. How can he breathe on this rock? What's going on? Where is he? Is everything gone? Okay, hang on. No, I'm listening, I'm listening. Can I ask a question about the serpent? Oh, sure. So he was exiled from his own reign, and that's why he's now building it all back up from scratch. Yeah, he's gone freelance. He's like Alec Baldwin in that 30 Rock episode where he starts working in the post room. (laughs) Do you remember that? That's the serpent in this. What's his name? Jack D- Jack Don Dan Donahue? Donahue. Donahue. Yeah, he's Jack Donahue. It's serpent style. So, a why was he exiled? And b if he was exiled, could we not anchor that in something? Like, let's say before he was exiled, they had statues of him on his planet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now they exile him on this tiny little bit of rock. And he's like, what is this tiny bit of rock? Like, this isn't even a planet. And we realize either it's a fragment of the planet that he used to rule over because the flux has torn through it. Mm -hmm. And we see a bit of his statue just floating by so that really, this is why he's on this rock. It is poetic. Put him on his giant floating cranium in space and say, this is what you get for being big headed. Yeah, yeah, nice, I like that. (laughs) But yeah, he's already in exile. So why was he exiled? Ah, one atrocity too many. You know, you're always on borrowed time. It's not a matter of Vinda did this to him, is it? No, Vinda didn't get him exiled. He killed one too many enemies in a slightly suspicious manner. (laughs) He got a bit short-cutty with his methods. Okay, fair. But yeah, Judge, Jury and Executioner, it's Kate Stewart and Vinda and they just boot him out and that's it. Does the Doctor not ask where he's gone? (laughs) (laughs) Can you trust them to do this job well? Mm. I know that he's been personally targeting unit for half a century and everything but i'm a little disappointed in kate stewart as well well i'm very how did you find kate stewart in this one stewart kate stewart yeah (laughs) it's not her finest hour no she had to deliver some very clunky exposition about antimatter yeah she which she knew an awful lot about i felt even the acting was slightly sub Oh, I don't think anybody got to act in this episode apart from maybe Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Everyone else was just delivering the line at breakneck speed. Faster. No, we need it faster. Say the same line again. Great, but quicker. (laughs) We need to Netflix one and a half speed this. Yeah. Kate Stewart, I feel bad for criticising her acting, but... Everybody has an off day. Yeah, it was a little... It left me unenthused. Mm -hmm. She did much better last week. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're not slagging her off for her whole flux. No, no, absolutely absolutely not. She's a terrific actor. So this is an anomaly. You're right about the lines being very clunky. So there's only so much you can do with a bad part. Yeah. 
But were you not expecting a little bit more of this character? Last week, the serpent bombs her house. (laughs) And she goes, I'm going dark. What's your face? I can't remember your face. Osgood. Osgood. I'm going dark, Osgood. I'm going to Nick Fury this. And then she doesn't. There's nothing. No, there's just her hiding in a tunnel with a TARDIS. Yeah, she does absolutely nothing here. Mm. What does she do? Well, she certainly doesn't re-establish unit, which I thought might be hinted at. There you go. That seems quite important to establish. Exactly. What would not have been accomplished in this episode were she not to have been present? The TARDIS, perhaps? She was its guardian, I guess? Well, I guess she was responsible for getting it down there. No one can get into the TARDIS. I suppose, but the serpent could have hidden it all. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Speculation. Were there more questions? I've got more questions. Well, we're just supposed to swallow the fact that the Santaran fleet got through the shield. Oh, yes. Because there's this matter-generating shield. Next unanswered question, by the way. <laughs> right, yeah, explain this to me. How This is what consumes the flux, essentially. Yeah, it generates something from nothing. It disobeys, again, a fundamental law of physics. What is this shield? The Lupari Matter Generating Shield. Oh, that's what it is. That is what it is. And it's entirely enveloping the Earth. It's keeping the flux out, yet letting the sunlight in, and also the Sontarans and the Daleks and the Cybermen. And despite the genocidal battle that rages within it at one point, it's entirely structurally sound. And also, did I mention it generates matter? So can't it just send an avalanche of matter to repel the Sontarans when they rock up for an attack? So where is the flux now? The flux is finished up inside the passenger, being consumed by the passenger, which similarly is said to generate matter based on its dimensional technology and world-creating within. And where is the passenger? I'm sorry if I've just missed something. The passenger is outside of the flux and inside of the universe. So, yeah, I guess it's cancelled out the matter. I guess the passenger might be feeling a little hungrier than before, but thank goodness it had enough to digest the entire universe-obliterating flux. Oh, but the Ood managed to minimise it, so what was I thinking? Hmm. There's nothing more than a ripple. Yeah, this is not good writing. (sighs) Okay. All right. On one level, I kind of liked how the passenger was used as the device. It nearly makes sense, but no, it needs finessing. It needs some form of explanation as to how it is essentially a bubble universe. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible power. How do we know we're not in a passenger? Well, we don't. Okay. It's not even a matter of, oh, is this a simulation? The passenger is a universe in itself. Mm. So it's essentially a TARDIS, as in it's the kind of dimensional engineering that you see in a TARDIS. It's just on a universe level. Yeah. Or scale. So way better than a TARDIS, in Certainly. Fact. Although it can't travel in time. Nobody can walk places. Yeah. TARDIS can't walk. No, you can no. fit lots of people in a passenger whom you can't fit in a TARDIS. Yeah. So, no. How would you have felt if the passenger had been used to save everyone? So, oh, the flux has ravaged the universe. Everything is destroyed. But we can kind of dial it back. The Ood can reverse the polarity and now the flux will (laughs) generate planets. But it can't generate people. Oh, now we have an empty universe. No, we don't. Because we have a passenger who's going to go around farting people onto all the planets. And then he does that, and that's the happy ending. Oh my goodness. Actually, the fact that Swarm and Azor imprisoned everyone is what saved everyone in the first place. Yeah, and the Doc knew this all along, and it was a heist upon a heist upon a heist. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been nice. That's, by the way, how you trap Azor and Swarm. You put them in a passenger. Mm. Make them kings of a world that contains only them forever. Yeah, why not? For example. Yes, that's less problematic fate. 
Yeah. And maybe they could even start to enjoy themselves and then realize just how empty their victory or further existence will be. It's the same thing they experienced before, but just a slightly more commodious prison. Star Wars! Okay, let's have Star Wars. We have a crap ton of Star Wars wipes, for starters. okay. A lot of them. You're going to have to lead on this segment because... I haven't watched any of those in years. You know, Lucas, the Star Wars films always have the horizontal wipes. Yeah. We've got that here. Lots of scenes transition with one of those. When there's a transition at all, sometimes we just jump to someone speaking in a different place. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But we do get a lot of these, yes. for Doctor Who, uncharacteristic transitions. I got major Death Star vibes when we were in the Sontaran prison ship, whatever else. Right. We have an interrogation of sorts of the telepaths with the things on their heads, which felt a little bit like, I guess, Harrison Ford being tortured aboard the Death Star. A okay, bit like okay. that. yeah. Everything's dark. Like it, The cinematography is set up. The set is set up to look a little Death Starry. Yeah, I just felt really Star Warsy, And all those bits where at the end we have, here are 10,000 copy-pasted Dalek ships versus 8,000 copy-pasted cyber ships. Yeah. Felt Star Wars prequely. <laughs> hmm. It felt like lazy sci-fi cinema to me. Perhaps yeah. aboard the Suntan ship it felt homage but the rest felt, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Well, this episode does seem to be trying to be everything and to please everyone. Because it is trying to be Star Wars and Marvel and Doctor Who all at the same time. Sure. Doctor Who, third priority there, it would seem. Yes. I was put in mind of this by Bell. Because I can't imagine anyone being happy, really, (laughs) with what their storyline turned out to be. Bell's baby is just a baby. Yeah. At the time, we were thinking there would be some greater canonical significance to said baby and said parents. But no, it's just a baby. I'm if, happy for it to just be a baby. What, what kind of canonical significance were you People were thinking it, it was the Doctor. Oh, I went full Scooby-Doo there, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> wait, explain that. That was the theory. Because Belle was given whole episodes to narrate and frame and carry, and they thought, yeah. oh, okay... So she's a big deal in the Doctor Who universe, rather than the squeeze of some guy who worked for this other guy who (laughs) happens to get exiled at the right moment. Yeah, people wanted it to be more than just a chain link of coincidences. Yeah, okay. And if it had been the Doctor, that would have brought its own issues. How would it have been the Doctor? As in Belle would have birthed the Doctor. Yeah, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, doctors began her life as Tigmy and then fell through a wormhole and then fell back through a wormhole. I don't well, know. Well, that's I... actually, that's a good point because we never find out... The doctor's origins. Yeah. No. It is this season, essentially, that sets up. Yeah, it is this season yeah. that sets up. There's yeah. no more on that. Yeah, that is mega strange. Wait, hang on. Can we dwell on that for a moment? Wait, yeah, please. I like the idea now that Tigmy might have been Doc. I think that's a great, great reading that I hadn't considered at all. Ah. So what... what <laughs> why at the end of this season does doc go actually i don't want to know i'm throwing away the fob watch all part of chibber's five-year plan i suppose just leaving it for the next showrunner should he wish to pick it up but it is weird because she has been tempted by these memories and wanted to know and the number of run-ins she's had with joe martin God, I wish they'd done more with that. I wish they'd actually sort of started having more of a relationship rather than they're either antagonistic or one is slightly encouraging to the other. <sighs> Could you bootstrap Paradox it? Maybe. Whereby the fob watch is opened and releases its energy at Tigme. 
Ooh. So Tigmi, who is just an unborn child, an unborn human? I don't know what Tigmi is. Whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. this is why her and Vinda need to show up at the end in Liverpool to pick up Di. Doc's there as well. She's still umming and ahhing about the fob watch. Tigmi is now a baby. She reaches out with her baby hands and somehow fumbles it open and gets doused in fob in, watch in energy. Doc. In yeah. Doc. Is turn- exactly. I think if Tigmi is born, then Tigmi already has too much of a personality to then be overwritten by Doc's <laughs> fob watch. Oh, okay. But if Tigmi has not even been born yet, and somehow Doc's fob watch either fires at the little Tamagotchi toy, or oh, yeah. it just goes like straight for the uterus. And then because of all the timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff that's happening in this season... Tigmi is displaced in time mm-hmm. and falls through that portal, whatever. Oh, time, the flux has created a portal. Tigmi falls through that portal. Belle suddenly goes, oh, that's weird. I'm not pregnant anymore. Oh, my God, what's happened? Oh, that's pretty dark. Yeah, there's actually. <laughs> oh, no, no, but, no, no. But, sorry, she knows that the baby is somewhere. Yeah. She can still perhaps even communicate with Tigmi through the Tamagotchi. Ah, so they okay, get yes. a whole, they head off on their own adventure off screen where they go to find Tigmi. But we know that actually they are Doc's parents because Tigmi is the girl who, because she was doused in Doc energy and fell through this flux vortex, this is not only what turns her into Doc as like gives her that personality, but also allows her to regenerate. She has absorbed so much time energy through the yeah. flux that now she can regenerate and that's what then Tectune uses to transplant uh, regeneration energy into yeah. the Time Lords. Yeah, it kicks the whole thing off. Yeah. Why not? It's perfectly possible in this cockamamie universe. And we still have the... I know that seemed very dark there for a second, but we, yeah, we yeah, do yeah. get at least the option at some point in the not-too-distant future, Doc realises this and gets the same kind of moment with Vinda and Belle in a few seasons' time that River got with... Amy with and yeah, yeah, exactly when they translate the little thing on the crib, it's like, oh, mm. actually it says, yeah, we don't have a word for pond, whatever it was. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that would actually set something up rather than a good explanation for what happens having to exist in spite of all of this. Yeah. 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 Mm. My whole point at the beginning was... I'm so sorry. I don't know who would be happy with just the baby surviving, apart from some young girls who are watching. I think that's what Chibbers would have had in mind. Like, how do I appeal to the six or seven-year-olds with their dollies? Look, the baby survived. Yay! And that's another part of the audience happy. We've got the Star Wars, the Marvel, well, maybe the Doctor Who fans, they have to keep watching out of obligation. And now the young girls as well. I'm killing it. (laughs) In a good way? In a good way. (laughs) Can I talk about... Please. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame the director for this episode, because mathematically, there was no other way to include all this stuff. Yeah. But for an hour, it's just, boom, X happens. Boom, Y is on an airless asteroid and apparently fine. Boom, Zed lost all his people. Sad. Boom, for an hour. Yeah, yeah. what's your beef, man? That's exactly what this episode is, is well, like. Well, what's the difference between this and episode one? Because I loved episode one, but that was percussive. And this episode was concussive. <laughs> Instead of yeah. a new thing happening, I'm like, ooh, what's going on over there? Ooh, how intriguing. Oh, that's a nice diversion. Here I'm just like, oh, I just caught up with the last thing. Oh, not another stupid thing. Oh, now they're going to do that. Is it just that this episode is so much more predictable in how it has to tie everything up? I'm not sure it's that predictable, actually. No? I mean, I didn't anticipate the triple genocide. Quadruple, if you include the Lupari. No, I didn't. 
No, that's true. And many times more over if you count the rest of the universe that was destroyed. Yeah. And is Doc on her way back to Division? Doesn't seem like it. I assume not. Um, Why would... No, wait, there is no Division. Or is Division... Isn't there? Is Division between the universes? Apparently. Only Tech to died, maybe. Well, the Ood is there. Can the Ood not draw her back? I suppose, yeah. And, and uncompress the universe like she talked about doing in episode five. There's a ship full of angels. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and other and division agents. And other division agents, potentially. I mean, and one ood. It's super cluster-sized. We see the curvature of the universe yeah. in relation to this thing. It's of unfathomable scale. Yes. Uh, well, wait, what's the question again? I don't know. <laughs> I said we could pull this apart for days. That seems to be what we're doing. <laughs> Wait, what was the question again? I don't know. I think I was just commenting on how I've tired of the super accelerated nature of this season. And I would like to go back to something with modulation. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. So you said this was actually quite plainly foreseeable. I would not. Just like you didn't foresee what happened to them. I did not foresee any of this. I don't remember foreseeing any of this transpiring a year ago, two years ago, whatever it was. But But I do think it is like just straight up lazy. Yeah. As in every single... All the characters are dialed back in complexity. Mm -hmm. We've spent most Mm -hmm. of a season building up these characters to have potential. And then it's not even that that potential is squandered. It's that when we get to this episode, they don't have it anymore. There's nothing for them to do. Vinda has been set up... He's been built up every single time that he's unnecessarily been ham-fisted into the post-credit sequence of one of these episodes. He's been built up to have tremendous agency. What does he do in this episode? Nothing. Yeah, he's a pilot. He's a hero. He is incredibly persistent in his pursuit of his beloved across the stars. And all he does is turn up in this and go, Woo! I'm Vinder! And you're gonna get some! And you can't even see whether he's at a console or not, but... Things are getting zapped. Exactly. We have had an entire season of Yaz being built up to doctor level. And within an instant of Doc returning, she is immediately pushed back to Normal Yaz. service resumed. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not even a waste. We've undone all of their progression. Absolutely everything has been ignored at the end of this season. Yeah. Does Yaz and I'm pretty do... sure this applies to everyone. Like, literally every single one of them. Yeah, does Yaz do anything in no. this No! She does the thing at the beginning where she's like, I'll let the lightning in through the door and that'll just zap the baddies and not us because we'll hide behind the walls or something like that will work. Oh, but when then, they're running in the tunnels. Yeah, but then after that, she's just around to get the odd hug. Yeah, to essentially do nothing. Yeah, that is sad. Exactly. The Doctor should be able to respond to that increased Yaz potential and harness it and take it to the next level. Yeah. And surely that would make their relationship one worth staging. Exactly. Diane, we've already covered her. She's jumanji She's built up to have lots of potential. Then she just exits series stage left. Dan, built up to pursue Diane, at the end doesn't get her. Doesn't matter, doesn't need her. He has not progressed in that sense. No, no. Joseph Williamson, I'm very disappointed with his exit. Yes, absolutely. Basically, they just say, and this is why we no longer need you in the cast. You have served your purpose, now go. And I don't think he even says anything. He just sort of tips his hat and stumbles off. Yeah. It's like, oh, finally, someone who understands me. Well, actually, you said that when you met all these people a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, when yeah. you met these people on the boat, by the way, you didn't say anything. Like, <laughs> when you met them on Atropos, at the start of this season, you didn't say anything. Yeah, that might also have been a case for you to go, oh my goodness, wait, hang on, I'm building all these tunnels because X, Y, Z. You seem to be on board for this. Let's have a conversation. No, nothing. 
He's also been cranky the whole time, and this time he's not. Yeah. So like, it's just a complete undoing of all of these characters. Have we missed anyone? Is there anyone else left? It's basically just the we, bad guys. We talked about Kate Stewart and how paper. Another she example was. of it, exactly. Yeah. Not a single character arc comes to fruition. I'm going to raise you, Carvin Easter. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Because this guy, he is now in the classic Doctor situation, last of his race. Yes. For absolutely no reason at all, because guess what? He's got a stun pulse that can incapacitate intruders on his ship. And no other looper used this when the Sontarans were attacking. But now Carvanista can repel way, them lot. Did we get to see the other Lupari no, guy? never seen one. No, so that doesn't happen on screen even. It's just, we're told. In fact, when I was watching this last night, I assumed that was something they were just saying to torture him. And at the end of the episode, oh. it would be revealed that no, he's absolutely not the only one left. They're all still there. They were just trying to mess with his mind. No. But no. no. Once he says, I'm going to kill absolutely every single Sontaran there is. Yeah. But he doesn't. Doc does. Yeah. And he gets a couple of howls. Oh. Yeah. And John Bishop says, oh, he's very sad. Leave him alone for a moment. And then he returns to being exactly as irritable as before and just skulks off. He ends up as a pet. He ends up as two B-plot characters' pets at the end. Should we not have given him a chance? I'm not saying an eye for an eye, but should we not have given him a chance to go not so on a bunch of Sontarans? <gasps> I feel like that's exactly what was called for here. Yeah, Commander Scott, go for it. Is that the, the name? Yeah, well, because he's Scottish. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. And he even says, I look forward to the combat. Do we get to see it? No. No, it would take too long. But it's so limp. This guy is feeling unimaginable grief. He has seen things, and this is the worst thing he's ever seen throughout all his time in Division. He's lost his whole race. His race was so noble, it came over here to... The human race has gained and lost its, what was it, bio-locked brother race or whatever, in it, yeah. like, without even yes. knowing. And it's just treated like nothing. It's just swept away because there needs to be a million other things. Arguably, Dan Stevens is the only thing Carvinista has left at the end of this series. Yeah. So why doesn't he end up as Dan Stevens' pet? Why does he end up as Vinder and Bell's pet? Is that what happens? He goes away with Bell and Vinder? Yes. Vinder all but scratches him behind his ear. I missed that. Oh, no, really? Yeah, because they're now a family. A family of four, counting Carvanista. <laughs> so I think it's slightly wrong. I found Carvanista's last line on the script. Oh, yeah? And it's, I wish I'd never saved your life. You're not staying, any of you. This is my ship. So that arrangement is only temporary, and oh. he's going to go off and be grumpy and lonely. But he's lost any ability to take revenge, as you say. He has just been an onlooker throughout the end of this. Yes, again, massive disappointment, underuse, underwhelming. My goodness, yes. Okay, so uh, apologies, I misremembered that one then. Only slightly. And we've sort of skirted around the subject, but I think we actually need to address the subject of all the genocides. Oh, okay, yeah, let's hear it. Because a genocide is not a concept to be trifled with. I know that we are talking about war machines, Daleks, and war potatoes, Sontarans, and they're supposed to be implacable and lack humanity, be entirely inhuman and everything, although... Guess what? All of our examples from history are humans perpetrating genocides. And my point is, I've been watching lately as a card-carrying lefty, as I believe you still are. I mean, certainly left of centre, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> go us. One stars to the max. Bring it on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast land, if you're curious. Read our UK iTunes reviews. <laughs> Turns out it's wokeism across the board. Fine. Ah, uh, well. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's woke to be against genocides, then I guess I'm pretty woke. Yeah. I'm not saying right wingers are yeah, into nice genocides. Yeah, nice one, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But I'm watching the Ken Burns documentary, America and the Holocaust, or whatever it's called. Uh-huh. And obviously it has to go into truly awful detail about the experience of the Jews in Hitler's Germany and where that eventually went, the final solution. And a genocide is nothing but horrific. It isn't. And for it to just be tossed around, for it to be quadruplicated in this episode, for the doctor to go, oh, two's a good idea, but three's even better. It's abhorrent. Is it not to a degree masked as... I can think of two things, actually, that it's masked as. Okay. One is self-defense. Mm-hmm. Certainly the Santarans are in the process of subjugating mankind, and they are, it seems, going to join forces with these two other legendary baddies to subjugate the entire universe, whatever remains. Although they've already seen through the Santarans' uneasy three-fingered alliance. Yes, okay, that is true. Before that. Yeah, that is true. But that yes, true. yes, you can't negotiate with a Santaran. So there's an element of self-defense there. Yeah. And the other side to it is, this is a horrible excuse, but it was going to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. So if they hadn't been inside the shield, the flux would have killed them. Because they are inside the shield, yeah, Doc kills them. But (laughs) you know what I mean? There's an element of, we can either postpone the inevitable, or we could just let it happen to them right now. And save ourselves in the process. Yes. I'm not trying to excuse genocide. No, no, no. And I get it. And in the episode and the Doctor Who universe with its red in tooth and claw necessities for survival, there is a certain logic there. Tooth and claw, the... uh, Not the werewolf (laughs) episode, no. (laughs) Sorry. I think it's just too dark. I think there could have been another way around it without making the Doctor culpable in this way. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that's a fair point. Have we not had Doc commit genocide quite recently? The Doc is always sort of walking a line. I remember Tennant's drowning of the spiders down the plug hole. Yeah, there's that. Do you mean the the the, the trial of a time lord is about Doc effectively doing that? Really? Yeah, I can't remember whom it is. Doc murders in that one or has murdered in that one. Did he actually murder them, though? Yeah. Oh, but right. Like, <laughs> but what we're talking about is something like, let's say, three of a species left. They're on a ship. That ship blows up. Mm-hmm. So that's the genocide. I'm paraphrasing. Podcast land is going to hate me for this. I'm so sorry. I've forgotten already. But it's not a case of there are 10,000 copy-pasted spaceships, and I am causing all of them to detonate. It's a case of, oh, there were just three of them left. To be fair, they didn't have much time as a species, but I'm the one who pulled the trigger. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't make it that much better. You know what I'm trying to say. I do, I do. It's a numbers game to a degree. Just didn't sit right with me. No, nor me. Nor me. Also, this is much more trivial. (laughs) How can the guy begin like, my legions, why won't you listen to me? And the doctor says, ah, I'll tell you why they can't listen to you, because your comms are gone down. Luckily, we're still alive. I remember that line, but I don't remember the context. What was that? Right towards the end, they are jamming his comms oh, yeah. so that he can't communicate, and yet they're communicating with him just fine. Yeah, but you, yeah, if, if you're the, the one doing the jamming, yeah. then you're okay. Okay, I think sure. That, I think that works. Yeah. <laughs> if you're hijacking the signal, I suppose it's possible. Yeah, absolutely it's possible. <laughs> there you go, Chibbers. You get one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, but I do have my worst moment in the entire episode note, which I've just refound. Can we say it at the same time just in case? 
Oh, I can think of one of two things that would encapsulate what this is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you boil it down to one word or term? And as well, and we'll say it at the same time. I can do it in two words, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. We might be on the same two okay. words. Okay. Three, two, one. Corner Force shop. field crash. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, when they yeah. kamikaze into the thing. They amp Carvanista's ship past maximum, unfathomable yeah. speeds. Yes. It crashes into the Sontaran force field, and in being brought to a complete stop from millions of miles an hour, instantly pulling hundreds of thousands of Gs, yeah. they smash into the walls as more or less hairy splatters of imploded flesh, right? Yeah. Yes. They you don't just so. stumble and go back to wisecracking, yeah? Absolutely. That makes sense to me. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is quite literally my very first introductory question. Was Doc actually gambling on maybe kamikazeing? That is, that's <laughs> mad. That's absolutely mad. And yeah. Bell just goes, you knew that was going to happen. Yeah, but not for sure. Right. Like you didn't know that for certain. <laughs> you were pretty ready to either take down two of your friends-ish, the people whose ship you've just commandeered. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the only way they could have got around it, and they could have, which makes this even worse, they could have said that the Lupari shield uses a matter-generating airbag effect so that while being spatially non-existent, it manages to stop them instantly and yet not kill them. Yeah. I want to draw your attention to a fact at this point, and that is that they are fucking dogs. They have matter-generating shields <laughs> on them. They are dogs, okay? I am a dog person. I love dogs. We have wanted space dogs for a long time. Yes. That don't just piss on jet skis or whatever that thing Absolutely. was. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge fan. I don't buy this for a second, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Corner shops. Corner shops. Chocolate. What was that? We couldn't even get a line of, yeah, chocolate is somehow biochemically identical to what the Sontaran, like the Sontaran equivalent of heroin or something. <laughs> yeah. It was just because they're on, within our atmosphere, they have different metabolic requirements and there's only one thing that can Satan, and that is chocolate. And the best way to go about finding chocolate is by robbing corner shops? Corner shops. Corner shops. Wait till they find the sweet aisle in the supermarket. Those big tubs of heroin. No word there. of that. No word of, I mean... <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> like, like, I think you can find more chocolate almost literally anywhere but corner shops. Like, corner shops have chocolate, but not that much. <laughs> no. And why is it just the one Suntaran who's really after it? And why is that one Suntaran so compelled by it? And it's not just chocolate. It's also sodas. It's lots of, lots of sweets in general, I guess. Sugar, yeah, I guess, yeah. is the thing that he's after. It seems so. So why they pretty successfully bribe this Sontaran by promising him more of what he already has an abundance of by virtue yeah. of having taken over the planet. And giving them a powerful psychic. They're like, if we give you what you want, will you accept this other thing you want? Yeah. That's not how bargaining works. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's, I hadn't thought about that. That's so true. <laughs> They should have gone, okay, we'll give you all the chocolate you want, you weirdo. <laughs> yeah. like, this makes absolutely no sense. We'll give you all the chocolate you want, and we'll even throw in some brown sugar in exchange for one of your hostages. Yeah, or just a tiny weeny betrayal, which because you're Sontarans, you'll probably vanquish us anyway. Yeah, that makes no sense. Mm -mm. Why? Okay, what, sorry, one more question. I'm so sorry. This really upsets me. Go for it. Why does Doc 
instantly understand what's going on when they say, yeah, there have been lots of raids on corner shops. It's not like it's the only thing they sell. Maybe the Santarans are taking over the media and are monitoring newspaper output. The Santarans have taken over the entire Earth, right? Yep. Because we are jumping from location to location on Earth. Yep, corner shops and Chile. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. that's a good point. So why does Doc instantly understand what is going on? Why are we not treated to, not even a montage, just a 10-second clip of her figuring it out? Of like, yeah. wait, hang on, what corner shops, you say? Wait, so, and the chili, chili, what would they got there? Cocoa, co- there are cocoa plantations. We've lost corner shops in the UK, and there are some cocoa plantations in Chile that have been raided. It's very odd. Same MO, <laughs> but yeah. uh, two different parts of the world. What do they have in common? Hmm, oh, sugar, blah, 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 blah. blah. Whatever yeah. it might be. Speculation, you know. logical process. Why don't we get to see that? <sighs> that is emblematic of how this episode... It doesn't even take shortcuts because it doesn't go anywhere. There's no A to B. It's just A, 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 A. Yeah. It's just an hour of assertions and declarations that are infallibly correct. <laughs> that's the opposite of drama, yeah. honestly. Yeah. That's like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's why I don't like this episode, along with all the other reasons of wasted potential. But yes, here it's being so effective efficiently dismantled this world it's sad it's really sad yeah i guess we're trying to celebrate the great british tradition of the corner shop also is that trying to inject a little bit of british idiosyncrasy into this now global ip okay here's another question for you about that yeah they say they've been raiding or robbing corner shops all right but we don't get to see any humans. Nope. We don't get no. to see a single human aside from the fam. Nope. So, A, are there humans left on Earth? And B, if they are, are some of them working in corner shops and reporting that they've been burglarized? I mean, it doesn't <laughs> seem like someone's behind... Like, no one's behind the till going, oh, take whatever you want. There's none of that, right? No. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it just seems really weird. It just seems We're going to pale... wander past this Sainsbury's into a corner shop and steal so, some chocolate. So page one of the newspapers in this same corner shop are Sontar and Takeover Complete. And page two is Corner Shop Dismay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is yeah. chocolate adverts. <laughs> yeah. I did like more scum, three scum. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Things I liked. Okay, yeah. I liked the Sontaran speech to open the episode, the first instance of the uneasy three-fingered alliance. It was good. Rutans, you remain hideous scum and must be obliterated. Yes. I'm I doing really it in Strax's to. voice rather than Commander Scott's voice, but... That's, uh, that's fine. That's essentially the only voice I hear anyway whenever a Sontaran speaks. So that's very good. In fact, it's your version of Strax. That's what I hear. <laughs> that is Strax. How dare you? That is... You're right. Exactly. I apologise. Exactly. I take it all back. Strax, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Anything you like? Yeah, sure. What are the choices? Death or success? What do we get? What's the prize for success? Death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that bit. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. I also liked the Doctor's lanyard jibes when spying yes. with the Grand Serpent. Very nice. Yeah, I bet had that put on a lanyard for years. <laughs> <laughs> she is very good at being incredibly petty. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, another one-liner from the Doc. Yeah. This is not a witty one-liner, but it was a nice little touch, I thought. I've got such a crush on her. Referring to herself. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, quite like yeah. that. 
I thought it was okay. Mm. I liked series of books, small library. Likes to chat, doesn't he? I can't get a word in. Yeah, nice, very yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Have you got any more? I'm just looking at my notes. No, <laughs> well, I'm sure then, there's lots of other stuff. I'm sure. I would like to segue from that since we have talked about Jodie's lines. Yes. To the fact that there were three Jodie Whittakers in this. Thank episode. you. That's also one of my to-dos here. What yeah. did you think? I'm very interested specifically in what you thought. Well, can we go through what they did? Okay. So, so okay. Sorry. In general, in answer to your question, I like the idea of splintering Doc in three and then having all three docs try to somehow separately solve one problem yes contribute different strengths and attributes yes but i don't think that's what happened it isn't so (laughs) (laughs) we have very similar notes i believe i think so i think so all right well why don't we then go through what the three docs do so one doc is still with division yes what does that doc do she woozes in and out of consciousness. This is the least favourite of the 13th Doctors we've seen throughout her era. The one where the baddies are in charge and she is at their mercy and she's very passive and just has to experience. Well, she does something with the Ood as well, doesn't she? Well, she gets the Ood on side and she tells the Ood to dial down the flux a touch. Mm. Okay, right. And she has a slight debate with Azure over their divergent philosophies vis-a-vis life and death. Yeah. Vis-a-vis leftism coming out again. Oh, yeah, you woke prick. Using that French language. One out of five. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We're not sore. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's a mark of success when someone gives you one (laughs) out of five stars and calls you a woke prick. That is great. Yeah. Actually, they didn't call... uh, They? He. It's clearly a he. Didn't call us a prick. But definitely. Didn't have the balls. <laughs> oh, just you wait. Ironically. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so Division Doc is the victim. That's the victimized Doc. Of the other two Docs, one is in the tunnels. Yep. And one is aboard the TARDIS? No, the one in the tunnels gains access to the TARDIS. The third one just rocks up with Bell and Carvanista. Oh, that's what it is. And then does... The extremely bad parking. Yes. (laughs) So what's your beef with having three docs? I believe exactly what you will be about to agree. The Doctor is a compelling and interesting character who has held our attention for 60 years because of their alien potential and their bottomless depths. And we have had three series of some good stuff from Jodie and some stuff where she's just a nursery school teacher and what you see is what you get and she lives through her hands and there's absolutely zero interiority. Mm. She might be hiding a secret or two, but that's all buried away in a different B-plot. Or she might get a bit mardy, but the rest of the time she's just zingy and peppy and energy. And we wanted more depth. We wanted more time with her character to find new layers. And here we have potentially three different layers. And one is the same old layer we've been disappointed with for ages. And the other two are identical twins. But they are... She isn't split personality-wise. It's not like, oh, so all the vim goes in one dock and all the humour goes in another and all the sadness goes in a third. That's not what this is. It's No, that would be simplistic also. Yeah, they should all be absolutely identical. The only thing that differs among them are the circumstances. So that's why one of them, even the one who's victimised, is identical to the other two. Sure. But are you suggesting that the other two have identical actions, identical everything? They have an almost identical patter. They're a comedy double act. But they're the same person. They are. But what I'm saying is 
the Doctor should contain multitudes. Like, we should get a slightly different window onto this, onto Mm. their mystique every week. And here, sure, they have to be identifiably the same person. But it's not like you or I splitting for half an hour. There's so much more potential there. And I just feel like, again, it's redolent of Chibber's inability to really invest the Doctor with interesting profundity. Yeah. That we just get two of the same, and they very quickly are doing the same things in the same way. And we learn nothing about the Doctor this week. It's just a bit more romping. I thought that I wanted to see something from one of those Docs. But now, in hindsight, I think I know why I would have been disappointed if I had seen it. Very interesting. And what that was, was the doc who's in the tunnels at the end with Yaz could have had an actual opportunity once... Because there's not that much to do in the tunnels. Like, let's face it, there's really not much to do in the tunnels. Once they're in the tunnels with Williamson and Stuart, I can't remember now. When they're in the tunnels anyway, all they have to do is shove Snake Face through a door and done. Yeah, and look the other way. Yeah, but they spent a lot of time in those tunnels, so for a lot of time, they're just twiddling their thumbs. And what we could have seen, and what I thought that I wanted to have seen, was Doc and Yaz having a conversation while Doc and everyone else, and Doc and everyone else, somewhere else, and somewhere else, are fixing the plot. But if that had been the case, I think now in hindsight, that would have been too similar to Tenant splitting and having fake Tenant with Rose. Right. I think so. Oh, that's a great callback. And maybe that's a reason why they didn't do that much. When Yaz has spent years, like literal years, pining for Doc. And Doc has spent quite a long time uh, away from Yaz. Mm -hmm. Certainly a long time worrying about Yaz. They don't even have a real conversation. At the start, they have a hug and, oh, I've really missed you. I've missed you too. Thanks for your hologram. Done. But then when they are actually in the same place, they do nothing. Or rather, we get to see none of it. And I think that might be the reason for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I wanted Yaz to make more of, <laughs> there's two of you. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to Sandwich. <laughs> a 696. <laughs> it's never been done. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to say, oh, the missed opportunity when I'm not responsible for writing the episode and fitting it into an hour. Mm. Although, obviously, we talked about that at the beginning, but... Yeah, I remembered, and I did. I really enjoyed it the first time. But this second time, I was like, well, if you've got the three of them, they need to achieve more than the one would. And I don't just mean in terms of getting more shit done. I mean in terms of interest and justifying triple screen time. I agree. Hmm. And what happens the rest of the time when she's not experiencing what the other doctors are perceiving? The other two just lurch around like zombies. And everyone's like, you're quiet. Hello, are you in there? Having a micro nap? Oh, sorry, I don't know where I was. That's a very good point. We get to see, from Yaz's point of view, what happens when Doc gets out of phase. Mm-hmm. She goes semi-translucent and says, Oh, yeah, this is weird. I've never felt like this before, and uh, but it's okay. I'm back in the room. I've never felt like this before since three episodes ago when I was doing this all over the time vortex. But yeah, I mean, this is ever so slightly different. That's true. Well, now there are three of her. Yeah, I think yeah, okay. that, feels, right. that feels different. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we get to see Doc and Doc in the TARDIS, for example, bantering. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're out of phase. No. So how does that work? It's not yeah. like Doc isn't experiencing one point in space-time at a time. Doc is experiencing all three at the same time. So what is the out of phase? What does that mean? Maybe when they're in the TARDIS, it can hold it together. I don't buy that for a second. I'm no. so sick and tired of, oh, well, you've got some <laughs> ultra energy on you, so none of the rules apply. That is bullshit. 
Yes. <laughs> no, I can't fight back against that. Even Kate Stewart, by the way, is like, oh, well, hang on, let me scan you. You've been in a TARDIS. I can see that at least two of you have Artron energy on you. Like, yeah, great. You broke your flip phone, but you can do that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, the talk of Artron energy. Prentice, I just need to trace all recent readings of Artron energy around the Earth. And then he does, and I assume he gets a reading in Liverpool, and he's like, of course, Kate Stewart. Classic. Yeah. Classic Famous scouser. <laughs> Known for hanging around the Bramley Dock or whatever it is. Goodness sake. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Uh, right. Can I segue? Yes, please. I'm really sorry. I'm going back to Covinista for a second. Okay. And I'm going to go back to episode one of Flux with this tangent. Can I ask you to do something for me, please? Oh, okay. Do me a favor and don't think of elephants. Like, whatever you do, don't think of elephants. <laughs> don't think of them. Are you not thinking of elephants? Tell me how you're not thinking of elephants right now. Tell me that you're not allowed to think of elephants because if you think of elephants, something will blow up inside your brain. Don't think of elephants, Drew. Stop thinking. Do not think of elephants, Drew. I've played the entire film of Dumbo while you said that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that about? Oh, and man. is that how we justify part one of Flux? Oh, why he's so annoyed that she turns up. Yeah, and... yeah. I'm going to, in a really elaborate fashion, I will execute you on a volcano planet <laughs> <laughs> on a timer. Because otherwise, if I think about you, which I'm definitely not thinking about right now, I'm not thinking about you at all. Yeah. I swear to God, then my brain blows up. What was he doing before that, by the way? <laughs> Did he have a life before part one of Flux? And what was that life? I assume he was on the Lupari homeworld, just waiting for the call. Just definitely not thinking about Doc. No, most significant yeah. part of his history. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did tell you between recording and recording, <laughs> some of these tangents are going to be five-second ones. I'm sorry. Well, it does make me think. I could understand... Don't, don't! <laughs> no, I know, that's anathema to giving this episode any kind of rating. Sorry. If he killed Doc, then he would never have to fear being asked... It makes me wonder why, when Doc is hanging upside down, she just doesn't go, All I wanted to ask you was a question about division, you bastard! Yeah. Wouldn't it be easier to just wipe his mind, by the way? Had, did Tennant do that to Catherine Tate? No, like, but but yes. did he, though? Yes, so, he did. So that can be done. That like, can the Doc done. has the technology to undo this synaptic collider or whatever. That's so true. Wait, that is so true. We could have had a scene, we're adding so much more to an episode that already has way too much, but we could have had a scene where Doc goes, I'm so sorry, Carvinista. I don't know what kind of friendship we had. And don't worry, don't tell me because I do value your brain as well. But on the assumption that we had a tremendous friendship or that I owe you something, I will do you this favor. I will delete any recollection you have of me which will save your life just like I did Donna Noble. Yeah. But it does mean I will never find out about our friendship. Oh, nice. Yes. So it costs her something to do him a favor. Very nice. And she does that solely based on the fact that he says, I've been so sad since then because you were my best friend or you were, you know, my world. Whatever, however he phrases it. Yeah. And then he doesn't have to just slink off. Yeah. Utterly forgotten and discarded. Yeah, pay him some mind. Literally, oh my goodness. Yeah. Or, yeah. at the very least, remove the synaptic collider <laughs> death booby <laughs> trap do that. that's in his head. What if he just accidentally remembers something? <laughs> Has a dream about it. Yeah. Doesn't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, goodness yeah. sake. You know this is an episode of television. Like, this is an actual <laughs> episode. <laughs> anyway...
Can I bring something up that we haven't talked about at all? Oh, please, because I don't have any points left. You know what? I've got way too many points, but let's make this the last one. Okay. Black and white haunted house footage. Uh, illogical house. And swarm deconstructing and reconstructing the house and dock. Yeah, messing with the timbers. What's that all about? What is this house? Is the house just a manifestation of her past life? Yes. Yep, they built a cool-looking CGI Heath Robinson contraption and were like, well, we could use it for that. So in episode, who built that house? In episode, what is that house? Because all three of them are next to the house. Where are they when they see that house? They must be in the Doctor's mind. I don't think he is physically disintegrating the Doctor. I think that's a purely mental effect. Yeah, but then afterwards, when we're back in colour land, because I think that's the distinction. Like, in episode, they make, oh, well, when we're in your mind, everything's black and white, except for us, because we're incepting you. But then when everything is colour, we're in the regular world. We're on the Division spaceship. Yep, yep. He does disintegrate her and then reintegrate her. Oh, he does, and they're going to do that forever. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess he's got the power of reintegration as well. Why not? But what is this? This freaking house, man. What is this house? Yeah. It's a wooden <sighs> house. It is a wooden house. Yeah, it's... With windows. Like, it was built by someone. It doesn't seem to bear any relation to any part of her past. Certainly not on Gallifrey. No, this she, exactly. This she's is free lo- Gallifrey. Yeah, she's looking at it thinking that's an unimaginably weird house. Wow, is that where I grew up? Why does it float? Why yeah. are there no people around? But of course it's not where she grew up. I guess it might, on some symbolic level, be portraying a detached floating cluster of memories, but that's it. It's that's, an edifice. But it that seems like a very, not counterintuitive necessarily, but unintuitive imagery to use Mm. to display someone's childhood or to symbolize someone's childhood unless you're going to tie it back to that we've never seen this house before i think yeah and we've certainly never had doc being afraid of haunted houses or floating houses or oh this seems familiar to me like there's none of that does it definitely not resemble a nightmarish twisted version of anything we saw when the master was explaining the doctor's backstory with tectaeon Oh, maybe. Because if there was an image there that was warped and stretched and sepia-toned, that would make some kind of sense. But I really don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think so. I'm going to Google it right now. The only thing that it made me think of was the poster for Cabin in the Woods. Did you ever watch Cabin in the Woods? It looks exactly like the poster for it. Yeah, it kind of does. Right, okay, so Doctor Who Cabin in the Woods crossed with Howl's Moving Castle. Illogical House. Right, so let's see what the illogical... What TARDIS uh, Wiki... TARDIS Wiki... Has it changed names? TARDIS Wikia turned into TARDIS Fandom and is now called TARDIS Wiki and they've got a new logo and everything. Huh. Well done, They've been listening to us. Right. Well done, y'all. Right. Location. It is inside Tecteun's Fobwatch. The illogical house was a psychic projection of, and the metaphor for, the Doctor's long and contradictory life, the sum of all their memories, including the erased ones from their secret past. It was contained within the biodata module used by Division to erase the Doctor's memories following the service as their agent. Uh, Okay. That's a glowing write-up, but not buying it. No, not at all. I get that a big, windy, empty, rangy kind of house might, on some level, stand in for a whole heap of memories, but... Uh... 
It does they never go like, in. It bothers me that they never go in. They never approach it. It's just a CG effect. Yeah, you're right. I would also have appreciated seeing the inside of it. Or seeing... I mean, I'm assuming she lives there. Her past selves live in there. That's her past lives, her past but homes. But what the hell whatever. would she encounter in there? I don't know. I don't see how it could house those memories. Why does it look like that? <sighs> so, based on Gim reading, Tardis, whatever it's called now... It appears in War of the Santarans and this. That's mm. it. Yeah. And, yes, it does. and the paragraph I read before, that is all she wrote. Mm. Because that's all we get to find out. You know what? No. Screw this house. Yeah. It's either too simplistic, trying to be complex. Trying to appear complex and mysterious. Yes, exactly. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. It's pure pretension. Yeah. Or there is no or. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all she wrote. Yeah. And that's all Chibbers wrote. I think we should try to rate this. Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I have volunteered to go first podcast land to get this over with. What a chap. <laughs> what a chap. Like the doctor trying to infiltrate the Santaran fleet, this episode brings everything to a crashing halt. Yep. Did we talk about how Jericho was wasted to the point of sacrificing him because... Wait, we didn't even talk about him. Like, <laughs> yeah, because... One of the extended fam dies and we didn't even mention it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And one that we had enjoyed and that various people had written in saying, I wish he could have been a regular companion. Yeah. Had a much more ongoing role on the show. Certainly. He's a legend of classic hoot. And they just have him be a bad shot in this episode and just give up. That isn't Jericho. He's stout and he's doughty and he would face death with stoicism. But the way he just stops because the episode needs him to stop. That's what drives me crazy. That's what they do with everybody in this episode like you have been successfully arguing. Yeah, so he's another example that proves that to be true. Yeah. Vexatious. (laughs) There are fun bits. We've mentioned most of them, and obviously it's watchable, and of course it's incredible spectacle and bombast, but I'm not really happy with how anybody turned out here. Mm. Given how much Flux promised and how efficiently and brutally this slit the throats of everything I thought we'd get, I'm going to give it a 1.6. All right. (laughs) 1.6 from Drew. Yeah, solid. I can't really disagree with that. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Similarly, I have also not prepared anything except for a number. I think for lots of different reasons, quite possibly, I'm very happy to give them the benefit of the doubt, quite possibly for reasons related to a global pandemic hampering lots of production or whatever it might have been. Yeah. This is the weakest link of this season. Mm -hmm. They've built too much up. They've built too much potential to be able to resolve it in one episode, which is why the cold open to this episode is exactly as chaotically, all-encompassingly resolving as it is. Oh, and what a wet fart of a dissolving cliffhanger, by the way. Yeah, but like half as hot. So there's... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, none of it works. I'm not even going to go into detail here. We've covered this ad nauseum. I'm giving this 1.8 is what I've written. Okay. I was toying at first with a 2.0 thinking, you know what? It's not as good as Once Upon Time. I had to ask you between pressing record and pressing record. Was that a good one? Because I gave that 2.1. No, it's not as good as that. It is absolutely not as good as that. And 
I don't even want to give it in the twos. It fails. How did I put it in the beginning? This very entertaining episode because it was, and it only deserves 1.6 or 1.8 respectively because what a production. Yeah. Like what an incredible feat by the BBC and Chibber's entire team, all of them, yeah. to produce this phenomenal episode that is so incredibly poor. <laughs> so thank you all because we love Doctor Who and we want to see all of it, but this just was certainly not what yeah. I wanted to see. Mega ambitious garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't fault Chibber's ambition. We have said in the past, in the course of reviewing all sorts of different episodes in different formats, why doesn't Doctor Who take on a bigger cast? Why doesn't it have a more expansive feel to it? And they absolutely went for it. They absolutely did. Without necessarily... Because I don't want people to write in saying, hey, you're contradicting yourself, uh, bro. So that we're not contradicting ourselves. Yes, expansive cast fantastic to have a season-long arc. Really interesting. Very impressive ambition as such. Expanding the cast without sacrificing the fam, which is what to date has always happened whenever they expand the cast. Mm -hmm. They dilute that dynamic, and that is very unfortunate. And to a degree, it happened here as well. But I think... Something that we need to recognize is anyone doubting this out in podcast land, this is a pretty great season. Yes. It just, unfortunately, crescendos at the wrong time. Yeah. I think years, decades from now, this will be what people remember. Yeah. This will be like Trial of a Time Lord. Of this era, certainly. Yeah. And... Trial of a Time Lord, the quality was patchy, much like it was here, but people remember it because it was different and they really tried something. Yeah, absolutely. So very commendable. Yeah. Well done, Chibbers et al. Asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Oh, asterisk. Oh, damn. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so those are our opinions. Are we the only people with opinions, Drew? I sincerely hope not. <laughs> let's check the mailbox. All right, let's do that. You've got to put your 1.8 in. I've heard that before. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. Our mailbox has been duly stuffed. First up, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Kieran begins. Hi, folks. Hello. And gleefully executed. Ha ha ha. Chibnall does know how to write Sontarans. I'll definitely give him that. Mm. So I sort of remember being disappointed by this one on transmission, but I didn't mind it on rewatch. I'm not sure it makes sense per se, but I didn't get annoyed at it, unlike some dumb plots. A good ep for the Doctor with Jodie being given lots to do, and the others most have stuff to do. Vinder and Bell could probably be cut without much effect on the story. No, well, the rest is fine, really. Oh, this one definitely doesn't pass the dead dog test. Oh, Grim. Yikes. Though at least Carver needs to get his own back for that. Does he, though? I think we established that he doesn't, but maybe we're misremembering. I don't remember him getting that. The Centaurans all die. I guess he takes part in the bombardment of Commander Scott's ship, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. Hey, don't worry, Kieran. We're still your friends who agree with you. Mm. Kieran likes the Doctor putting the fobwatch deep in the TARDIS for safekeeping. Okay. It's a sign that the Doctor has let go of the timeless child memory wipe fear. Hmm. The, unless I really ask for it, sort of undermines this, though. Oh, well. The ending with time is a bit of a cop-out, really, and it kind of wastes Swarm and Azure, who I wouldn't mind returning. Then again, this is Doctor Who, so there's nothing stopping them, really. 
I think one issue with Flux is the Flux. It's introduced as a weird, amazing thing and then fairly quickly is explained away as a funky form of antimatter and the solution is somewhat disappointingly easy of let's trap it in this conveniently endless source of matter that was left around. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Kieran. My goodness. Yeah. And Kieran gives this an... It's all right. 3.3 out of 5! Huge heart, Kieran. Huge heart. Your heart must be generating matter apace! Oh my goodness. I bet you couldn't transport that heart around in a regular-sized car. (laughs) (laughs) No. You'd need some kind of passenger form of Evan to fit that in. (laughs) That's right. Head on over to KJ Evans 2 for all your Evan needs. (laughs) By the end of this podcast, we'd have learned how to sing. (laughs) That's really what this is all about. Yeah, took 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) (sighs) Who's next? (laughs) Next up, it's Michael. Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. So (laughs) big. Isn't it just? (laughs) Michael starts with a list of First like, the sneaky Sontaran double cross and big space fleets exploding. Kaboom! Kaboom! Jericho's poignant demise, reminiscent of Adric's death. Mm. But this time we cared. Yeah, but Adric's death was dealt with better, I think. Yes. Yeah, definitely. But I see your point, Michael. Michael then segues neatly into a list of beefs. First beef. There was a lot going on, and I didn't understand it. But my biggest question is, would Santana's really be bribed with chocolate? Chocolate! Links. <laughs> Links wouldn't have been bribed with chocolate. Even if they really liked chocolate. Just raid the supermarket. Yes! Exactly. Find out how to make it yourself. Go to Cadbury's world. <laughs> yeah. This makes no sense. Agreed, Michael. Michael's next beef is this timeless child malarkey. If it's never mentioned again over the next 50 years, I declare it tosh. Year of the gas leak, year of the gas leak. Who back when retrospective on the timeless child in 2073, please? Not planning on being alive then, but sure. <laughs> You're not planning on making it to 90? I is pretty unlikely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I drink a lot and I used to be a smoker. Right. <laughs> They'll invent a pill for all that, though. Yeah. Does Sir Michael give this some sort of rating, Drew? Oh, but he does. He yes. gives it a rating of 2.5 out of 5, Ooh. a.k.a. half the score Michael gave Journey's End, of which this is a half-decent count of it. Activate the reality bomb! I mean, ahem, flux. <laughs> Where is Davros? Great question, Michael. Yeah. In all this, as well. Yeah, thank you for asking it, Michael. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, I hope RTD brings him back. RTD loves Davros. That's definitely happening in Series 14. Absolutely. One billion percent. He absolutely will. And Davros will be revealed to have kidnapped all of us in our sleep and placed us inside a passenger form where we were forced to... (laughs) Inhale gas. (laughs) And experience a virtual reality version of life that somehow played this season closer for us. Michael, that is a terrific mini. How can people say thanks and commend you on this, on the social media things? Drew, would you mind stepping in here? Explain. Yes, they can send presents to Michael, care of the deputy ambassador to Myanmar. But failing that, you can follow Michael on Twitter at bad... Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. No more underscores. Nope. Thank you very much, Michael. So big. Well, that's it from Podcast Land, but thank you so much, you tremendous pair. (laughs) 
I don't, I, I, what's, what's made you so giggly? I was going to say, like, have I ever been told that? I'm not sure I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And thank you, Podcast Land. Wow, what an audience. Mm. You have been a lovely audience. But this is not the end of Doctor Who. D- no. Not yet. Nor is it the end of Who Back When. Not yet. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> what's next up? Leon, I demand you tell me. Next up, we've got a classic Who review. Do you know what? Yep. The very last classic Who review. Yep. Yeah. It's called Survival. It's the last one of them, not counting the Doctor Who movie, which I'm not counting in this case. Mm-hmm. I'm 96% sure that I'm going to cry through yeah? that entire review. Yeah. It, 10 years of going through this entire thing, flipping egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Survival. Don't miss it, Podcast Land. It's going to be emotional. <laughs> What's next after that? Next up, we'll have a new Who, Eve of the Daleks. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, we're doing audio as well. I forget when we scheduled that in for. (laughs) I believe it's going to be just before Power of the Doctor, and it's going to be Doctor Who Redacted. That's right. Mm. And next bonus, well, Podcast Land, FYI, a week-ish after you hear this, it's going to be our 10-year anniversary. Yep. So it might be that nothing drops exactly a week from today when this episode drops, and our 10-year anniversary is the 4th of July, so we might take that week off, we haven't decided yet. But you'll get some 10th anniversary bloopers and maybe something else. We'll see, we'll see. Holy smokes. But in the meantime, people can say hi to us in some way or another, right? Yes, they can. It has been proven you can reach me via whobackwhen at gmail.com. That's right. Absolutely. We can all be reached collectively at whobackwhen at gmail.com. Send an email. I give you my word as a gentleman. I will forward them along. As you see. Exactly. I do that. I admit that now. Absolutely do. (laughs) Very defensive there for no reason. I'm so sorry. I don't know why that happened. Um, I was impugning you for a while, uh, (laughs) accusing you of deleting my name and putting yours in and reading them as if they were addressed to you. Leon, you're so good at doing voices. Yeah, you can reach me as well, Podcast Land. Say hi to me on... I'm still available on Twitter for whatever reason, at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N, or the aforementioned Gmail address. By the way, I should say, we can also collectively be reached at Who Back When on Twitter. Yes. Which is certainly a Twitter handle that will persist. Hmm. Excellent branding. I would like to think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Progress Land, but thank you mm. so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. My goodness, yes. Be rad. And all the other things Leon says. Bye-bye. <laughs> Be excellent. And all those other things Drew just said. Thanks for listening. Ciao-ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?